today we're thinking about what gives us confidence on the day of judgment. This is from verse 17 of our passage that was read this morning, and it made me think, what would uh, you know, so-called everyday people say will give them confidence on judgment day? Although the, no one would probably use that term, judgment day, it sounds too harsh. Rather, what would, what, what would gain me entry into heaven? I think most answers would be geared towards what they do or did themselves. In other words, it's something I have to do. It's something that I have to accomplish. Well, I did more good than bad. Um, I didn't do these particularly heinous sins. I, I didn't commit murder. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't you know, have massive theft. It's the question that comes from the, the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Ever since the fall of man, man has been trying to earn his way back into the garden. But there is no amount of doing good that will get you there. We talk about the ladder up and the ladder down approach. Man is constantly trying to climb the ladder to get up into heaven, to get right with God. And God's saying, no, I've brought a ladder down to you. I've, I've brought this ladder down and I've come down in the form of man and died for your sins so that you can come and yet we still are clamoring to get up the ladder. And that no amount of doing good that can get us there, that is a good thing. Because the good news is that it doesn't come from us. It all comes from God. The gospel is all about what God has done. You know, we've been looking week after week after week at, 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 at this um, at John's letter, and, and we're, we're 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 looking at this this theme of love in the letter. And as we said at the beginning, it's as if we're sort of walking around this spiral staircase, and we're 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 seeing these themes repeated over and over and over again. But we're sort of seeing them from different angles and different perspectives, and it's giving us a richer, fuller uh, understanding and view of of God and who He is and what He has done for us. And I think um, I think it's it's good to remind ourselves of uh, of why John is writing and, and and to whom he is writing. He's writing to people who will experience departure because it has happened to them and he knows that these things will continue to happen throughout the history of church history. And so we read in chapter 2 verse 19 that they went out from us, he says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You could only imagine if a, if a sizable group of us uh, just up and left all of a sudden. Walking away not only from the church, but, but walking away from Christ. I think that would be unsettling. 
we would sort of have this lack of confidence. You know, uh, should we stay? Should we go? Is this real? Uh, have we been deceived? Uh, is this all just a, a ruse? There would be some uncertainty, I think, if, if something like that were to happen. And, that, and that's what's happening uh, in the churches. And John is writing to reassure them that they are believers, that they are secure, that Christ is real, that sin is bad and a reality, that love is wonderful and a reality. Because I think one of the most challenging aspects of, of, of believing in God and believing in Christ is that we do not see them. Remember what Jesus says to Thomas in the upper room after not believing the other disciples when they come and they said, he, he's risen, he's, he's here, he's been with us. Jesus tells Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Last week we ended with verse 12 of chapter 4. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us or completed in us. It's not saying God's love is imperfect. It's saying that it is being made complete in you. Nobody can see God because... Sorry, no one can see the love of God because that love is invisible in some sense, right? Jesus is no longer in the world to manifest the love of God. The only demonstration of God's love in some sense is in this age, it comes from the church. It comes from the body of the believers. And that testimony is critical. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, They will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul writes, All this is from God, who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. John's message in this section, I think, could be summarized as Love originated with God, it was manifested in His Son, and it's demonstrated in His people. And John keeps giving us these statements throughout his, uh, his letter here. He keeps saying, by this we know. By this we know. Why? Because we continually need to be reminded Especially when we are immersed in this culture, this culture that is so confused. Especially when we see some depart. I cannot tell you how many articles I've read in the last two or three weeks of ministers just walking away from whatever it is that they had. Because ultimately, what do we want? I think what we ultimately want is what John states in verse 17, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. 
Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? That when, when, when it's all over, when it's all said and done, that we are safe, that we are secure? Well, as we said earlier, it's not dependent on us to make ourselves confident. We don't, we don't try and create this confidence out of ourselves. That would be silly. No. Because God has displayed and demonstrated His love in His giving. God has given His Son, verse 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. The Savior of the world, meaning the one who makes salvation available to the world. He, ha- he was given to mankind to make available the restoration of hearts. He, he was given to us. He wasn't just given to help us. He was given over to man that man would make, take his life so that we can have eternal life. This is the most ironic concept. It's the most ridiculous thing, I think, when I think about it logically. God makes man. Man turns his back on God. God comes to earth as a man. Man kills God so that God can bring life to man. I remember in seminary, it was one of the first classes I took, so I was just barely keeping my head above water. And I remember one of the, one of the other students said, this is the most ludicrous thing. Who of us would have come up with this? Who, who of us would have come up with a plan like this? So intricate, so, so detailed. Not me, that's for sure. And here's the crazy thing. That wasn't the only thing that God gave in display and demonstration of his love to us. He also gave his spirit. Verse 13. So I'm working backwards here. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Not only has He given us the Son who who brings us salvation, but also the Spirit. Do you want to know how much God loves you, Christian? He has sent two persons of the Godhead for us. The Spirit who comes and ministers to us. The Spirit who reveals to us our sin. The Spirit who points us to the Son for forgiveness of sin. The Spirit who gives us confidence before God. The the Spirit who who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The the Spirit who helps us in weakness. The, The Spirit who intercedes for us with groaning when we don't know what to pray. That Spirit has been sent, given for us as a display of that love of God. I think sometimes we forget these these miraculous gifts that God has given us in in, in a way of, of drawing us to Him. And not only does He give Son and Spirit, but He gives us A new identity. Verse 16 and following. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Sometimes it feels like John is the Riddler. By this, love is perfected or completed with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in the world. We come to know and believe the love God has for us in the sending of his son, in the sending of his spirit. And because of this love, we know that it will bring us through to the end on that day of judgment because we are like Christ in the world. What does that phrase mean? We know it doesn't mean that we are completely obedient as he was, but rather that believers are like him in our, in our, in our basic orientation, that, that we stand out as he did by contrast to the world at large. John chapter 17, verse 16. We looked at this several times last week. Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in praying for his disciples, he says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We have an eternal citizenship in a different location. Our identity has completely changed. We are no longer slaves to sin. We, we are no longer dead men walking. We are, we are no longer of the world. We have put on the garments of righteousness. We, we have been clothed with in, the, in, the, in the robes of Christ. And He is the new authority in our lives. We have this uh, element of, of, of separation from the world now. Not that we go and live on a mountaintop and go through the monastic thing and live in isolation. No, no. No, it's our, it's our, our witness, our testimony, the way that we act, the way that we think, the way that we speak. It, it's, it should be different from the world. Do we look that different from the world? I didn't mean that as a challenge. I just, I do wonder sometimes. Because we are no longer sons and daughters of Adam. But we are children of God. You know, sometimes I don't feel like I feel the weight of that. That feels simplistic. Um, I read about this football player from Samford University uh, over in Birmingham. His stepfather had, in however the process works, had sort of adopted him as when he was young. He had adopted him. He had brought him into his family. He had given him this new identity. He, he gave him structure and, and he showed his love for his son. And in response, the son has his last name changed uh, to his stepfather's name. He wanted to show this because he wanted to show the he wanted to put his identity in his in his dad's name, and so he had his last name changed on the back of his jersey. It's not a perfect illustration because God adopts us into His family, and he he gives us a new jersey. He gives us an entirely new uniform, and he changes our names. He, he puts a jersey on us with a, with a new name on it. 
And we have that privilege of being invited into this family. And it's, it's a beautiful picture. Something that we do not deserve. And yet that love was poured out for us. That love was poured out through the Son and through the Spirit. And we're given this new identity. Finally, he takes away something. He takes away fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In verse 17, he wants us to have confidence on the day of judgment. In verse 18, he wants us to not have fear of judgment on the day of judgment. When you are abiding in love or or abiding in God and He in you, then there is no fear of punishment. Have you ever felt like you deserved punishment for loving God or being loved by God? It sounds ridiculous. It's nonsense. And the thought of punishment comes from fear. Therefore, what love does, it is a byproduct of, Its byproduct is casting that fear out. And since, verse 19, we love because he first loved us, then we know that it is because God, because of God, that fear is cast out. It's not like we put on all the armor, our own armor, and we are fighting fear on our own. No, no, this is one of the gifts that he's given us. He's the one that's able to cast it out. He's the only one that can do this. The love of God or the love from God removes that fear of final judgment within the context of this section that we're looking at. You know, some people would say that if you love others enough without Jesus, that makes you a good person and that is what will save you. But that love will give you no confidence on the final day of judgment. One of the main reasons why so many professing Christians have little confidence with God and little boldness with man is that our lives are not devoted in love to the salvation of the lost and to the glory of God. But instead, often by default, we're devoted to providing earthly security and comfort for ourselves and for our families. When we try to say that we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ and yet our lives have little or no mark of concern for people's eternities, there's a deep contradiction within that, that, that begins to eat away at us. And it begins to take away our confidence. And it leaves us feeling weak. And it leaves us feeling inauthentic. As one theologian says, John wants us to discover the secret of a life poured out in the labors of love for the eternal good of other people. And it yields a sure consciousness of doing good, a deep peace of mind, and a bright hope of the glorious destiny hereafter. Meaning, if we don't sense our love growing, 
or being acted out, fear sets in because we know what we are called to and that is uh, that it's the evidence of a changed life. We want peace of mind. We want a, a bright hope of a, of a glorious future. And so we need to remember what has been given to us and what has also been taken away. The result of giving the Son, giving the Spirit, being given the new identity and the taking away of fear at that final judgment works itself out in our love for the family of God. You remember last week we talked about that uh, cycle of love. We, we, we come to know our sin. We come to know salvation. Uh, we have a new appreciation for Christ. We have a new appreciation for godliness. We have a new appreciation for His people. The, the love flows from God through the Son, through the Spirit, into the believer, to the church, to the world, and back to God. God who cannot be seen provides the Son and the Spirit and a new identity and He takes away fear of punishment on the final judgment and that displays itself in the love for the brothers and the sisters who are visible, who are seen. We're we're freed in our new identity in God because of the love of God that has been given. And we're freed because we no longer have to fear the one thing that we are most concerned with in regards to the final day. And it's displayed by His people because of the God who is not seen. Again, if I was coming up with this, it wouldn't make any sense. So when people say to us, well, where is your God? Does that put fear in us? Does that strike fear in us? If, if, if a group of people were to leave us and depart, would that strike fear in us? Or do we remember what God has given us? Though it may seem simple. What He has done for us. And the love that He has showed us in those things and in that love which is being completed in us, which is being worked out in us. We love others. We love others. We love others. And we gain confidence. We gain confidence. We remember what He's done for us. And we overflow with that love of what He's done for us. And it pours out over us and into those around us and into the communities in which He has put us in intentionally. And it gives us confidence. And it gives us confidence. And it builds us up. And it reminds us of who we are and what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it sounds simple because I think we've heard it so many times. Oh, the Father sent the Son and And then the Spirit, and now I've got this new identity, and yet I think we we forget the profoundness that we were just lost people stumbling around in the darkness until the light of the universe came and opened our eyes. We did not open our eyes to see Him. He opened our eyes. 
And now we see these things and we don't just hear them and they roll off our backs, but we see them, we hear them, and we rejoice because we know what they mean. They mean that the creator of the universe has a love for me. That he has a plan for me. That he has desires for me. And that love isn't just to sit there and be grateful. But it's to be the outworking. To be the demonstration of that love to someone else. To be the, the mouthpiece and the hands and the feet of that love that people can hear and know about the love of Christ, about the love of the Father who has sent the Son and the Spirit and has given us that new identity and given us a new purpose. And He's going to take away our fear on that final day. And He takes away our fear even now as we remain and abide with Him. For all looking for confidence... We all want confidence in something. What more could we want confidence in than that? to have confidence in that final day? That no matter what comes down our path, no matter what bad news we may receive or face, we have confidence in knowing where we will be. We have confidence in that our Christ is real. That His death atoned for my sin. And that His Spirit ministers to us even here and now and to one another. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for what you have done. Thank you, Father, for what you have given. Thank you, Father, for what you take away. We pray all this in Christ's name.